Greetings and welcome to our 14th episode of Soldier of Souls and to our second in the series of St. John Vianney. We send out our best regards to the Catholic churches of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton and St. Henry's and to all of you, our fellow soldiers from across the country and the world. We send out our heart-filled appreciation for joining us as we seek to follow the path of truth that guides us through our earthly life and leads us to our eternal home. Hi, I'm Deacon Tim Vaughn, along with my co-writer and editor, Linda Hurley. Hi there. And we're going to bring you the second of our series of St. John Vianney. John once said, when the heart is pure and simple, it cannot help loving because it has discovered the source of love, which is God. Hmm, I really like that. His words truly emphasize how simple a priest John Vianney was. Yes, these words do. So in our last episode, we tried to paint a picture of what the childhood of St. John Vianney was like. Yeah, it certainly was an upbringing that was very different from what most people in our country currently have. Yes, it was both a simple, poor country life that was close to nature, God, and the church but also one that involved danger, death, darkness, and hiding to protect oneself and family. It was a life of many obstacles, as we will see throughout this episode. But surely all that changed when the French Revolution ended in 1799, right? Well, things always change, don't they? Yeah, I, I guess we'll see as we look at St. John Vianney's youth and young adulthood, in this episode. But first, we must give glory to God as we pray to our Father. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Our, our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now for news for those in the pews for our local churches. Back, back, buddies. Please consider being a blessing to families that need a little extra help on weekends. Backpack Buddies sends home a bag of food every Friday to kids at Snow Rogers Elementary to ensure that they are being fed when they are not at school. You may donate food items or make a tax-deductible monetary donation to the church. All donations are greatly appreciated. Be sure to designate your donation for Backpack Buddies. This is an ongoing ministry. Checks may be pay made payable to St. Elizabeth Ann Seton and put in the collection basket. Please check the Sunday Bulletin for items needed. Okay, when we ended our last episode, St. John Vianney had just made his first communion and confirmation at age 13, just as the French Revolution was finally nearing its conclusion. Right, the terror and danger had passed as had the failed experiments to replace Catholicism as the central belief of the faithful French people. 
When Napoleon came to power in 1799, he recognized that accompanying religion was a practical way to dampen counter-revolutionary opposition. Hmm. So, Napoleon was not really consenting to re-establishing the church in France because he was a believer himself, but because he saw how its presence could help him consolidate his power to govern France. How very self-serving. Yes, he was. But true enough. However, God does work in mysterious ways to keep his church alive. So, it was at 2 a.m. on the 16th of July in 1801, France signed a document known as the Concordate, the product of eight months of grueling negotiations. Catholicism was henceforth to be recognized only as the religion of the vast majority of French citizens. Well, that sounds like a way to deny the church any privileged place in the state. Correct. Furthermore, the church was to give up all claims to property lost during the revolution. The Concordia's most dramatic step, however, was to bring the church under the authority of the state. Hmm. That's pretty drastic. Now, for example, all clergy was required to swear an oath of loyalty to the government and all their salaries were to be paid by the state. It doesn't sound like a golden time to be considering entry into the priesthood, was it? No, it sounds pretty frightening, actually. Um, and this was during uh, John's teenage years. Divine Providence willed that his piety persisted and trained under the guidance of his parents and his sister Catherine. So what did that training look like exactly? Well, it wasn't traditional book training. Remember, John didn't go to school. He learned through oral tradition and memorization, repetition of prayers and other devotions and certainly discussions of how all these applied to his daily life. So John himself really was not reading these things. No, he was illiterate. So it wasn't until later, even when he finally studied in a seminary and struggled with reading and writing, he was not considered a very good student. But it does sound like John really developed a love of learning and an appreciation for the value of wisdom and a deep conviction that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Exactly. And the calling that John felt to become a priest became deeper and deeper. And during that time, John's daily work was divided between prayer and work on the farm. However, he viewed his work as a continuous prayer, and his life of his divine master with his miracles and sufferings supplied him, supplied him with an inexhaustible material for meditation. So wait, then after working all day, John would study scripture and the lives of saints and so forth with his mother and sister, right? Exactly, that's right. He had such a love for learning, and John hoped and prayed that he might become a priest. But he completed his 17th year without ever having begun any type of formal education necessary to begin his desire. 
So what was standing in the way? I thought you said that the restrictions on the church had been relaxed by that time. Well, was it the government restrictions that were an obstacle? It was, surprisingly, his father. Well, wait, I thought John's father was a very faithful, pious Catholic himself. Why was he standing in the way? It wasn't because of lack of faith of his father. It was due to lack of money, which is a very practical consideration, mm. especially when you don't have it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> his father decisively declared he did not have the money for his son's seminary education. You see, his father just paid the dowry for his sister Catherine and recently bought John's brother Francis out of the army. And his father was certain that he could not spare his son on the farm. His father was getting older and suffered from rheumatism. John contributed the majority of the labor necessary to keep the upkeep on the farm and keep them fed. Wow, it seems like John takes one step forward and two steps back in his path. How frustrating that would be. The challenges of the French Revolution had finally receded and now here is clearly another obstacle that appears insurmountable. I think that it would have been very understandable if John had just thrown in the towel at that point. But he didn't, did he? Uh, nope. No, John was too persistent. Instead, he sought out his mother, as we probably all do, and presented her with this difficulty. It was sort of like, I got good news and I got bad news. First, of course, he shared a strong calling to the vocation to the priesthood. And she was very, very pleased and embraced him with the scream of tears of joy. And his mother heart, she had always known that this is what God had always planned for John. Yeah, but then he had to share the bad news, right? That his father had seemingly made up his mind and refused to support John in formally preparing for the priesthood. So what did his mother say to that? Well, his mother had the perfect answer, of course. It was his mother's love and understanding of John's ardent vocation. She simply told John that the two of them would pray unceasingly to the Blessed Virgin Mary for her help and intercession on John's behalf. And they were persistent and patient. And in two years, his father gave him consent for John to attend the seminary. Is that why John Vianney throughout his life continued to be so devoted to our Blessed Mother? Yes, it is. So, now, all John's problems are seemingly solved. Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> Even though Napoleon Bonaparte had reestablished the Catholic Church and John wanted to pursue a religious education, there are still many other obstacles to overcome. Huh. Well, it seems like the road ahead would have been wide open. The church reestablished. John's father was now supportive. What went wrong? First of all, was finding a place to study wasn't easy. Remember, all the monasteries, seminaries, and all the church schools had been shut down and often destroyed during the French Revolution. Mm. Secondly, John was not the best student. Uh, right, I forgot. He really hadn't had the opportunity for much book learning. 
John really would have been hampered by his very rudimentary education, even in the basics. Absolutely. However, in 1806, John was 20, was, who was much older than any of the typical seminary students, the cure of a scully, Father Bailey, opened a school for ecclesiastical students, and John was sent to his school. Okay, so now John finally has found a school. Surely the instructors there would have seen his deep devotion to the faith and how strong his vocation was. Well, while his professors never seemed to have doubted his vocation, his limited knowledge was a real handicap. John's formal learning consisted only of a little arithmetic, history, and geography. He struggled excessively with Latin and needed private tutoring to even begin to manage it. Oh my, I can hardly imagine what it would have been like for him to try and overcome these difficulties to feel the calling of God so strongly, and yet to have to slowly slog through learning things that his fellow students may have already mastered as youngsters. It almost seems as if John is being tested by all these trials. Exactly, and all these tests continued when his studies were interrupted in 1809. At that time, he was drafted in the Napoleon's army Ah, yes, the Napoleonic Wars, the time that demonstrated that Napoleon's hunger for power was insatiable. What an egomaniac. Napoleon hungered to conquer all of Europe and bring it under his imperial rule. The lives of so many soldiers were lost, so more and more replacements would have been needed. Correct. And that's why John Vianney was conscripted. The war with Spain caused an urgent need for recruits. So Napoleon withdrew his exemption enjoyed by the ecclesiastical students. John's father tried to procure a substitute for his son, but when he was unsuccessful, John was obliged to go into the army. His regiment soon received their marching orders and on October 26th, John entered the barracks of Lyons. But I think that God's protective hand must have been resting on John because I know he became ill before being deployed to Spain and ended up in the hospital in Rouen where he was nursed back to health, right? That's right. And so on January 6th of 1810, when John finally left the hospital, his regiment had already left for Spain without him. Oh, so now he has to try and catch up with them. Yes, and he tried. But by that time, it was full winter, and that winter was very harsh. He had developed a high fever that made him stop his journey. Oh, I remember this part, too. He found a shed that gave him shelter and sat on his backpack and started to pray the rosary. In later times, I think he said of his experience that Perhaps I have never prayed with so much confidence. And that really tells us how much we need to pray the rosary. And this confidence was well placed because all of a sudden a stranger came in and asked what he was doing there. John stood up and told him his story and immediately the stranger grabbed John's bag and asked him to follow. Whoa, 
John was certainly taking a risk in trusting this fellow and just going along with him. He could have been leading him anywhere. Well, again, the Lord and the Blessed Mother were keeping an eye on John. The stranger led John to the house of a farmer, and John stayed there for several days until his fever ceased. And while he was recovering, it crossed his mind for the first time that he had deserted Napoleon's army. Wow, that would have been a, an offense punishable by death. Yes, it would have been. So what did John do? After he recovered, he remembered that Mayor Paul Fayot was dedicated to hiding deserters. So John went to him for help. Unfortunately, the mayor was unable to accommodate him, so he sent John to the house of his cousin, Claudine Fayot, a widow with three children. During his time there, John adopted the name Jerome Vincent. He even opened up a school for the children of the village under his name. And we'll see later, he always had a soft spot for children. Well, that was certainly a bold thing to do. I suppose that later that year, when the imperial decree of amnesty to all deserters was issued, John would finally have been free to return home to his studies, right? Yes. Yes, that decree covered desertions between the years of 1806 and 1810. And John did return home to finish his studies. Divine Providence and the Blessed Mother saved him. So then he resumed his studies at Eccoli until 1812, when he was sent to the seminary at Verrier. I read that he was so deficient in Latin, though, he had to follow the philosophy course in French. In fact, John failed to pass the examinations for the seminary proper, right? Yes, he did. That's absolutely right. But on re-examination, three months later, he succeeded. Mm. Then, October 1813, he entered the major seminary in Lyons. But again, his inadequate knowledge of Latin made it impossible for him to understand the professors who were saying how it was to respond to the questions put to him. At the end of his first term, he was asked to leave. Oh no, with what everything else he had been through by then, that must have been intensely discouraging and painful. He must have wondered if he was ever going to become a priest. And he may not have but for the regent of the seminary who recognized, possibly through the work of the Holy Spirit, the depth, talent, and value John would bring to the priesthood. So he gave him a roommate, a fellow student with marked ability who took pains to assist John in his studies. Ah, so that's how he advanced toward ordination. But also, I believe at that time, uh, 1814, there was a great need for priests. So wasn't there a plan that John and his fellow students should receive subdeacon orders in the month of July? And there was, but the authorities hesitated in John's case. How could they admit to the higher orders one so poorly qualified? So how was that resolved? Well, the Victor General saw fit to, to settle the question for himself. He examined John thoroughly and then announced with satisfaction. 
you know as much as many a country pastor. And so John Baptiste Vianney was able to continue his vocational path and on 13 August 1815 he was ordained a priest by Simon Bishop of Grenoble. Oh, I do so love happy endings. But wait, that's not the end of the story of John Vianney. The whole of his ministry leading up for him to become St. John Vianney, patron of the priest, still lies ahead in part three. Well then, I guess we will look forward to that part of his story, which seems like it might be the most important part. Shall we say a Hail Mary for a blessing on all of our journeys? We shall. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail, Hail Mary, Mary, full of grace, the, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please join us in two weeks for part three of the life of St. John Vianney, when we will be examining how John's ministry impacted and influenced the church, even up to the present day. Meanwhile, remember the words of Jesus, wide is the road to destruction. So we will always urge you to stay on the path. So until next time, may God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And may God speed you on your soldier.